You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. Well, on this podcast, if you have listened any length of time, you've probably heard us talk about schooling and education because we've interviewed teachers, parents about various types of schools and school programs. Now, Renee and I chose different routes of education for our children. She chiefly homeschooled while my kids were in local public magnet schools, K through 12. Yep. And we live in Middle Tennessee about 30 miles southeast of downtown Nashville, in what's considered a suburb of Nashville. It's urban, but we are surrounded by rural counties. And our city proper is pretty big, Bonnie. I mm-hmm. can't believe we're 350,000 and growing. We're getting in the big leagues. Yep, uh, one of the fastest growing areas around. And all of that is relevant only because today we're going to be talking about safety in schools. And if you assume we're from the rural south where everyone says, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, and manners matter, well, maybe that's partially true. You might assume that we're not having to tackle the stereotypical inner city issues of school violence found in larger, more urban cities. Right. We, we're kind of, um, we kind of are straddling both worlds, I would say. Mm-hmm. Leaving one world and entering the next. Right. Yep. And what we're talking about today is not the heartbreaking and unfathomable school shootings that seem to be on the news on a regular basis. Here, close to our county, students and families are still reeling from the trauma of Nashville Covenant Schools shooting in March of 2023. And events like that get covered and analyzed widely, and that's kind of out of our purview uh, in this one. Right. So today, that's not in our scope. So today we want to open a discussion just about safety in general. What might students and teachers expect on an average Tuesday on a high school or elementary school campus? Yeah, this is interesting because recently we've been hearing from teachers in our school systems who have growing concerns about the state of things there. I was really surprised by this. Yeah, I was too. Um, I don't think in my kids' lifetimes they experienced it quite the level that we're seeing today. Our kids don't always tell us the details of their days or let us in on the drama, the bullying, or situations that they might witness because they probably don't want us to worry. And a lot of times they don't want us to intervene because it can make it worse. They imagine that it might go away or that they should be able to handle it on their own. Yeah, but what about the teachers? Mm -hmm. These are men and women who have to go to work every day. And you'd imagine they would come home and talk about the things they experience on a daily basis. And so you would expect their spouses and friends and family members to be aware of what they may be carrying. I got to say, the super secret anonymous interviews we've done with teachers, I was shocked. Me too. Me too. And if because I don't have any teachers in my family and coming home to tell me these things. Yeah, I don't either. It, it's, it's, hold on to your hats, ladies. This is, mm-hmm. but you do have kids. Surprising. I do have kids and potentially grandkids in the school system. So it's stuff that I want to know about, even if you don't have a teacher in your family. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So in the fall of 2019, 53.9 million U.S. children were enrolled in schools across our country, and 9% of those were in private schools. So what do we mean by private school, Bonnie? It's a school that doesn't depend on local or national government for funding. So that could be religious-based or other organizations that rely on their own fundraising. 
Typically, private schools require tuition from students, while K-12 public schools in the U.S. are paid for by tax dollars. So that's you and me. Yep. So public and private schools are often pitted against each other with homeschoolers on the sidelines being their own kind of outcasts and throwing stones. Yeah. <laughs> Independent <laughs> voters. Yeah. And not only in terms of quality of education, but also concerning school safety. So while violence can occur at any type of school, school safety statistics show that private schools often offer more safety to students. Let's give us some statistics, they, Bonnie. Yeah, often they do. But during the 2017-2018 school year, U.S. public schools experienced an estimated 962,300 violent incidents and 476 plus nonviolent incidents. What? That's a bunch. That's a lot. Out of the 53 million students Mm -hmm. that we have in our country. So almost a million violent incidents and almost half a million nonviolent incidents Mm -hmm. translates to what? 71% of public schools experienced at least one violent incident. 71%. Wow. Three out of four. So nearly half of public school students report gang activity, but only 2% of private schools do. Wow. So in the U.S., about half of students aged 13 to 15 have said they experience violence, such as physical fights or forms of bullying from their peers in and around school. And actually, the same statistic holds true worldwide also, which was surprising. That was surprising to me, too. Yeah, because I, for some reason, I don't know, we have a reputation in America mm-hmm. as tough, right? rough. Right. Our inner cities. I mean, but did you? I, I did. I remember fights in the hall in high school. Yeah, but... We just kind of avoided it. Not, you know, back when we were in high school, though, in rural areas, we could carry knives to school. It was a pocket knife. You had a pocket knife in your pocket. Of course you did, because you were probably going to go out and use it after school. Mm -hmm. Or you even had shotgun racks in the back of the pickup trucks that some of the kids drove to school Mm -hmm. on school property. And it was no big deal. Yeah. Same. Nowadays, they Same. would be completely arrested. No, you know, zero tolerance. <laughs> arrested for that. Yeah, we had uh, we had smoking sections in case you'd like to smoke your cigarettes. Yes, and um, uh, yeah, we and I do remember. I mean, it was scary to see the fight in the hall, but I just kind of kept a wide berth and right. It didn't involve me or concern no. me, so no big deal. And it was kind of you know over with. And the teacher stepped in. Yeah, broke it up. And you went to the principal's office, and that right. was that. And that was it. Yeah. yeah. Well, in 2021 to 2022, there were 3.2 million full-time equivalent teachers in public schools. And 0.5 million of the same in private schools. So someone, which is kind of the focus of this podcast, the teachers who we expect to care for and steward our children for seven to eight hours a day is dealing with all these incidents all this, all these numbers uh-huh. we're talking about in uh-huh. the classrooms, in the hallways, in the locker rooms. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that we have to do this anonymously. <laughs> right. We're like, we're the mouthpiece for the super secret <laughs> <laughs> interviews because I don't know why. I mean, why? Because the folks that we talked to were, they needed their job. Right. They're afraid if they speak truth and the concerns that they won't have a job. Well, that's not a very good environment. Right. To start off with. Right. You'd think a, a teacher could step up and say, hey, this is not working. This is problematic. How can we make, <laughs> fix this situation? <laughs> but not always so much. No. 
So the teacher that we happen, we're going to focus on in this particular interview has been a teacher in the public school system for 13 years and one in a private school. And mostly high school. So right. Mostly older students. Yeah. Yeah. So we asked this teacher, what sort of incidents or events do you personally experience on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. And get ready. <laughs> so in addition to the normal, okay, you're tardy for class, that kind of thing. She said she's had t- many disruptive students in class, but disruption goes way beyond the talking to your neighbor or the flying the paper airplanes that Renee and I maybe experienced. <laughs> the, the spitballs. We, we oh, did yeah. a lot of spitballs. Spitballs on the ceiling. Yes. <laughs> She has had multiple accounts of a student having been called out for being late or asked to do work, going into a tirade outside the classroom, pounding on the door, screaming obscenities at her for the entire class period, having a student in class with an ankle monitor on with no idea why. Wow. Incidents like that. Wow. And we said, okay, well, is this different? Is this new? You've been in the school system for a long time. Like... and if they if this is new, why do you think things are changing? Yeah, right. And then we got an explanation, which I, I did not know being outside the education system myself of how things came to be the way they are based on yeah. the laws that have been passed in our education system. Yeah. Really interesting. So let's go back to the 70s, Bonnie. <laughs> right. Back to the days of our youth. Right. The glory days. <laughs> um, history lesson time. In 1975, the IDEA, IDEA law was passed under Gerald Ford. That stands for Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. The thinking was to meet the needs of and improve the results for infants, toddlers, children and youth with disabilities and their families. Initially, the impetus was for the inclusion of Down syndrome children. That's great. Right. We all want that. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Then in 1990, the law changed to include traumatic brain injury and the autism spectrum children. And since then, it's expanded even further to include students with behavioral issues like Tourette's, impulse control, and whatnot. Right. So that fundamental idea, which I think most all of us would be on board with, is that everyone has a right to education. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But And instead of separating those students with special needs, there is good that comes from inclusion in a mainstream classroom. Special needs students learn social skills from peers, and mainstream students learn empathy, understanding, and tolerance. That's how it's meant to work. So if your healthy, achieving child never encounters anybody in a wheelchair or with speech or differences in abilities, they're much less likely to know how to treat someone when they do encounter them. Absolutely. I'm all for that. 100%. And let's think of this from the perspective of the parents of children who are getting included under this IDEA law. They had to fight for their kids in ways that you and I didn't ever have to fight for our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, we can't even imagine what life is like for them. Sure. And every step of the way, if they're in the education system, they're having to bang their drum, meet with administration, meet with teachers, push for certain types of accommodations or different sorts of challenges. It's a tough road and it's a win for them and their kids to have classroom inclusion for part or all of the school day. Sure. Of course it is. And I'm not trying to, nobody's trying to take that away, I don't think, not in this conversation at least. But we know that all that requires funding. It requires skilled teachers and assistants. It requires school counselors and an administration that's on board. An administration that's already buried in paperwork, testing, parent-teacher clashes, and their actual job of teaching math or reading science to 20-plus kids. 
Right. Don't forget the job that we were there for. (laughs) The initial reason for education. Right. So in 1997, amendments to that IDEA Act included allowances for disciplinary actions schools can take with students with disabilities. Among the provisions was the right for a school to remove a student from the school for up to 45 days if they're involved with drugs or weapons. So back when we were in school in the 70s and 80s, students could actually be permanently expelled. I had only one problem student that I witnessed uh, in elementary school. Um, And the things that our teacher had to do to get that child under control in the classroom would not fly in today's classrooms. Okay, we got to give us a little sample. Um, It was a child who was openly and outrageously defiant. Like there was no learning to be done when that outburst happened. And this happened to be a male teacher scooped the child up and dragged them down the hallway to the principal's office, kicking and flailing and screaming. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen today. Yeah. Not only that, there's no more kicking anyone out. We found out through these conversations. If there's a discipline issue, a student can go to an alternative school if one is available. But surprise, surprise, those are mostly full. And after 10 days or so, not the full semester or the 45 days that's allowed, they get to go back to their regular school setting. Uh, so there's no teeth to the consequences. Right. So now a days, it's not just your run-of-the-mill average mainstream students and an occasional um, child with autism or Down syndrome. Now we're dealing with students with oppositional defiant disorder where kids are angry, refuse to follow instructions. They outright seek revenge or deliberately bother others. And for every student that's in a special needs accommodation, they get an accommodation or an IEP, individual education plan, Maybe their IEP states that they can't tell the difference between right or wrong, so they can't be punished if they attack another student. If a student with one or more disorders has a meltdown, teachers may have to evacuate the classroom while that student rages out of control because they're not allowed to Touch punish them. or discipline because that's been in their behavioral plan. That seems crazy to me. It's kind of on its head. It really is. If a student has an IEP, it's even harder to get them removed from a classroom because their behavior may be specified and therefore allowable on their record. This means teachers have to put up with and try to accommodate severe behavior issues in a classroom while also trying to teach a subject. Right. Because a lot of times also they don't have the funding for someone to accompany that student all throughout the day. So you might just have your regular math teacher having to teach algebra and deal with something like what we described. Scope creep is what this sounds like to mm. me. Yeah. Like what was a good idea to begin with has now gotten so broad that, you know, if everyone's a winner, no one's a winner. Right. That kind of thing. It's what I call so open-minded that you become flat-headed. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> oh, and um, we, our gut was that things have gotten worse since the pandemic since COVID, I, I, I asked a flight attendant recently that what was the trip you and I were on, Bonnie, right. they were, they were just, they, the staff seemed so short with the clients, mm-hmm. the passengers on the plane. And she's like, oh my goodness, it's gotten terrible since COVID. So I, I think, think in every industry, I think it it's not just school. She said, everyone is so on edge. They're so rude. They're so demanding. Right. It's done something to our collective psyche. There's n- no traces of grace or mercy no. or tolerance or 
giving you the benefit of the doubt. Nobody's, any of that. nobody's getting curious about themselves, Bonnie. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Why? Slam Why? that door a long I'm time so ago. so angry. Yeah, this teacher said that since COVID, there are plenty of mental health issues to go around and everyone is more anxious and less engaged. There's people who are carrying depression or the, the fallout of an, an entire school year essentially being lost academically and socially. Right. You know, she's talking specifically in the high school arena. Mm-hmm. And you know how important social interaction is between middle school and high school students to just their development. So they, that was lost for a solid year and for a lot of kids a lot longer than that. Yeah. So whether it is the pandemic or not, teachers with years of experience are saying they've never seen the kind of meltdowns that they're seeing now. So could it be food additives, trauma, toxins, mold, <laughs> video games? I don't know. Red dye number 40. <laughs> Something. <laughs> right. Or just a collective cultural malaise. I don't know. Something that's going on. But it's present in almost all schools. Oh. Phones, they say, of course, of course, you're going to hear us say this, are yeah. always an issue. The more addicted the kids are to phones, the less you can teach, the more bullying that goes on, escalation of social issues in a given school day. She says some students literally cannot physically handle being away from their devices, just putting it in a case during class or having it confiscated or taking an ACT test, having to have it outside the room, they can't handle it. Um, if you require no phones, you also have to require no smartwatches, no iPads, no laptops, and the rest. And that's difficult in an educational setting that is highly technology, you know, driven. So I say pitch it all out. It's a swim upstream. Pitch do, it all I out. I do too. We've done it for years and Get years. Get it years. out of there. And I mean, there is a, there is a space to teach technology for sure. But um, it just I have not I've never met a teacher who said, "Oh, I'm so glad we have iPads in the classroom." Me neither. I'm so thrilled my students have phones. Not one. Not a single one. Uh, And here's another reason why. The presence of phones means that everything, every conversation, every disciplinary action or issue is and probably is being, like it can be and probably is being recorded. And that stuff can be taken out of context. You can edit stuff. It's nothing. For her kid to edit that on the fly mm-hmm. within seconds of it being said before any context can be given to it and mm-hmm. sent out. It's nothing for that to happen. And it does on a daily basis. So we hear so much, I think, about teacher retention, um, especially since 2020. I personally know so many seasoned teachers who have left the profession. Oh, absolutely. The last three years, for sure. And so many new eager teachers that barely lasted their first year before jumping ship. Um, so we asked our teacher, did she think school safety was contributing to this at all? And she said, absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She said new teachers aren't prepared for the low expectation of safety. College majors in education are plummeting. They couldn't find a high school senior last year to give away a teacher scholarship to with a graduating class of 500. None of them were going into education. Right. That used to be like, yeah, because they were just getting out of. Crazy town. Right. You want to go back? School? I don't want to spend any more time in school. I sure don't want to. Yeah. Who knows what could happen in schools? Students, no. They see what's going on around. So that phrase, expectation of safety, is kind of one I wanted to zero in on. Um, It's an interesting phrase. And the teacher that we talked to mentioned a particular court case related to that. 
So last January, perhaps you've heard of it, it was all over the news. Abby Zwarner, who's a first grade teacher in Virginia, was actually shot by one of her students. Remember I said first grade teacher. Six, six years old. Six-year-old student. And what we know now is that that child was known to be violent and was required to be in class with a parent, which the parents declined. And the teacher tried to sue the county school system and was told that she could possibly claim workers' comp, but she should have had no reasonable expectation of safety. Look at how bad the schools are. You should have known it wasn't safe, even at the elementary school level. What? That was the school system's defense. You should have no expectation of safety, even at the first grade level. Wow. And I think a year later, um, a judge has ruled that she can proceed with a lawsuit. But for a solid year, that's that's where that court case lay. That in our school systems in America. That's the question. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So that begs the question, if school boards are saying that teachers have no reasonable expectation of safety, what does that say about the students in their care? Exactly. What does it say? Exactly. And that's that's your kid and my kid or our grandkids that are that's in there. Right. Um and I was <laughs> she confronted us with this sort of unbelievable um situation of the way things were and I was like, "Well, what other profession do we say that to?" Policemen, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you work in an ER or a prison guard. But we're saying like a 25-year-old new graduate? In a classroom full of seven-year-olds? Yeah. Is equivalent to those sort of situations? <laughs> I'm sorry. Am I, am I nuts here? I just, I couldn't fathom. No. So we think that the frequency of school shootings has to be tied to this whole issue. We rightfully go nuts about that, but at the same time, most parents of students in the general population are unaware of these kinds of disruptions and the violence that goes on on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware either, because I'm going on what I thought school was, and unless mm-hmm. my kids are, unless I'm in the school, you know, volunteering mm-hmm. or something, and happen to witness it, or unless my kid comes up and tells me about it, or happens to be in the news, how am I going to know? Yeah, yeah. So that's true unless they have been caught up in it. So there are multiple cases of assault and bullying in school settings where parents of the victim have appealed to the administration for help. And the solution more often than not, because of all the stuff we talked about with that idea law, um, where they'll get kicked out or maybe sent away for a little while, but then they get to come back. The solution more often than not is for the victim to transfer to a different school system. The victim transfers. Yeah. So the administration and school boards are always concerned about funding, and they're wary of lawsuits that likely await them if they press the issue with parents of the offenders who happen to be pretty litigious. Wow. So where does that leave the majority of students Mm. and parents who are taking advantage of our public school system? And is there any kind of training for this? We, We were like... Probably not, right? Teachers graduate with an elementary or secondary education degree, and maybe there's some courses now or student teaching that includes special ed, that uh, or special ed inclusion or classroom management. And we were wondering, like, is that effective? (laughs) Is that what (laughs) is that what is needed? (laughs) And unsurprisingly, yeah, I mean, our 
teacher said, no, there's not enough special ed teachers or school counselors to do the one-on-one needed with these types of students. They're in school increasing in increasingly greater numbers. That has me asking why. Mm-hmm. Why are there so many? Um, she said there's some mention of these things when you get your education degree, but even with student teaching, there's no experience or exposure that prepares a new teacher for some of the things that we've just discussed encountering. Right. Oh, I mean, why would there be? Why would you think that there would have to be that in a no. in your average college education curriculum? You're going there to learn how to teach, not how to be a prison guard. Right. So add to that, um, more often than not, the attitude of parents to educators is to vilify teachers, undermine their authority, and engender disrespect. So if students are hearing this sort of thing at home, what are the odds they're going to listen when a teacher asks them to do their math? If they think it's acceptable to throw a desk or pound on a door and scream obscenities, which they're probably doing regularly at home, too. Or hearing. Or hearing. Then how likely is it that they're going to show up on time, participate in learning, and have decorum in class? Not very. Yeah. And, you know, in defense of parents and students, like, haven't you been in a classroom where it was like a little fiefdom? Oh, sure. Where the teacher was just a tyrant. Or just a really bad teacher. Really bad teacher. Yes. Oh, I had plenty of those, but I even had some who were just kind of on a power trip. Mm-hmm. This was their little kingdom. And, and so, you know, they add their personal agendas to the curriculum and rightfully so parents should stand up and counter that and advocate for their children. It's just a crisis of trust in all forms of authority right. in our country right now. Uh, when we read news reports about teachers having inappropriate contact or relationships with students, I mean, that happened when I was a kid. I remember hmm. the basketball coach and the basketball player. I think it's only gotten either worse or just more public. Yeah. So, so. Yeah, know, I get it. What? <laughs> I get it. I mean, you have to it's teach. hard. Um, critical thinking, I guess, to your kid. If there's an issue where they feel uncomfortable, they ought to be able to come to you and expect that you're going to hear them and believe them and back them up. Yeah. And they also need to respect authority. They're going to have to get a job mm-hmm. someday and they're going to have to learn under someone's authority. You can't learn if you're not respecting your yeah. coach, teacher, facilitator. Yeah. I mean, back in back when I was a kid, the general tenor among my friends' parents was like, if, if you got in trouble at school then you also got in trouble at home. Yep. They just backed up mm-hmm. whatever the teacher did. Yep. We did too. We did too. I can remember one time that I pushed back a little bit because the stories didn't jive. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it was like, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to accept the consequence of whatever this was and we're going to talk about it at home and how, mm-hmm. to be, how to be graceful about that, how to accept that gracefully. Mm-hmm. That's a lesson too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Living with injustice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And and our teacher said, yes, you know, sadly, bad teachers do exist. And bad things happen in all fields. It's not just the education system where inappropriate stuff like that's going on. Most good teachers want all that garbage out, too. And most good teachers are just as appalled and have their own kids in the schools. They don't want one of their own kids subjected to all this craziness, either. Most teachers just 
want to teach their subjects and want their kids to turn in their stuff and be kind to each other. Right. (laughs) Is that so wrong? (laughs) Is that too much to ask? For some of that stuff, um, the reports of what's being taught or forced into curriculum or libraries, just check your sources. The reality is, in most school days, in most school districts, there's not even time for teachers to go to the restroom during a school day, let alone indoctrinate your child with additional material while they're trying to handle these kind of disruptions. That's actually not how it works. So just check your sources and go straight to the teacher instead of talking trash about them at home. Yes. Amen to that. Uh, And we asked about, well, okay, if you can't really intervene, like the SRO does it, like how does that how does that go down? And she said, yes, teachers are not allowed to touch students for any reason. Touch. Yeah. It used to be, I can remember getting hugged by my favorite teachers and just loving that support and having an extra adult in my life too. You know, when you're having a bad day and maybe your parent is rough on you to have a teacher to go to, that's tough now. I remember one of my classmates getting a bar of soap put in their mouth. Well, yeah, we used to have paddles. Because he said a bad word. Corporate punishment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Why does that stand out in my mind? Oh, not, no. Not a hug. <laughs> it does. Did That's you ever what... get hugged? Uh, oh, yeah. Hugged by teachers? And we, Congratulations. we would sit around in the, on the carpet squares at her feet as she would read aloud to us. And, yep. oh, yeah, she'd give us hugs. Yeah. And we'd come up to her on the playground and... Can you imagine being in kindergarten and first grade and not being able to touch a six or seven year old who has fallen and hurt themselves and cried? That's just, that's hurts my heart. We could be really sure and just cut everybody's hands off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we could. (laughs) Yes, It's just so extreme to say you can't touch, you know? I mean, I get it. I know why. But like, isn't there a, this whole conversation is, isn't there a sane middle ground? Exactly. I think we've taken common sense. Common sense ain't so common anymore. No, it's, it's out not. of the equation. No. So, okay, yes. Teachers are not allowed to touch students for any reason. And there's too many litigious parents. And the parents of the violent, aggressive students tend to be even more litigious than the average parent. So if a teacher, we're not talking about hugs here. They're just trying to pull two kids apart in the hallway so they don't really hurt each other. Or even to ensure the safety of, you know, those around them. If they do that, they know there's a chance for a lawsuit. Yeah, they got to wait for the SRO to get there. Um, And you hope that they're on campus and available. Yeah. If they're not, I I don't know what. I don't know. If administration intervenes and meets with the parents to recommend intervention, or maybe that the parent attend class with the student as a stopgap measure, that parent can always decline those recommendations. Because, you know what, they got to work too. And school provides them with a seven-hour break from them having to deal with these same issues at home. And to be honest, that's exactly what I would do. I don't blame them. Yeah. I don't blame them either. I imagine it would be extremely overwhelming and exhausting to have that kind of defiance in your home. Okay, so let's talk about preventative measures and how effective they are. So due to the high incidence of crime and violence in schools in the U.S., various organizations have committed to help schools and school systems improve preparedness and overall safety. To achieve these goals, many schools have implemented strategies like improved student supervision and school hardening, which involves purchasing advanced surveillance equipment and bulletproof. I can't believe I'm reading this. I know. Bulletproof technologies. Right. Now, that's 
that goes back to the school shooting mm-hmm. thing, which is the the worst end of the spectrum. Um, but some schools use an out-of-school suspension of at least five days to discipline students who bring weapons to school. Um, more schools located in cities and suburbs reported having a threat assessment team compared to schools in towns and rural areas. Charter schools had security personnel present at least once a week. And 63% of teachers strongly oppose receiving special training to carry guns in school. Right? Most of them don't want to. Yeah. Don't. Don't. That's not why they went into education. Right. It's probably going to be used against them. It's it's also a safety hazard to have one and not know what to right. do with it. Right. Yeah. You'd have to be really, really good with it. Um, 27% of registered voters in the U.S. strongly support the notion of teachers being equipped with concealed firearms to respond in the event of a school shooting. So one in four. Americans says, yeah, let's do it. The three factors that schools report to have the biggest impact on crime prevention were uh, inadequate funds, 36%, lack of alternative placements or programs for disruptive students, 34%, and district policies on disciplining special education, 19%. Right. Just this past year, our city schools here in Murfreesboro introduced what they call trained calm coaches. And their goal is to help students process their emotions so they can stay learning in the classroom. Okay. I'm all for that. Probably would be helpful if the parents went to the calm coach too. Yeah, I would say probably 100% would help. That would help everybody. But those kinds of ideas that we're implementing early on, and if you can implement them in the elementary ages, Mm -hmm. and hopefully that trickles down as they go through the system, it's a small step. It's a small step. So we asked, okay, what do you think it might take to improve the situation? And she had some thoughts. Right. Um, Which I thought were good. That she said, first, being aware that this is the school environment that's out there. Classrooms today are not what parents themselves experienced even 10 to 15 years ago. True. And then it's going to take parents of the general population to say something to your school administration and your school boards. We have to be that squeaky wheel as the parents advocating for inclusion. We have to be as squeaky a wheel as the parents advocating for inclusion. We have to ask that question publicly. Are we sacrificing the many for the few? And what is our expectation of safety? So, you know, certain personalities are are gifted to the rest of us to do this. There's those spunky active you know activist kind of friends you know who are just like i'm going to the school board meeting right i'm bringing this up mm-hmm. like that we need those of you who are that personality we need you to take this to heart or parent groups ptas ptos think about it yeah you can you can make a change and know about your own school system uh, she said how many of your schools are fully staffed how many sros and school counselors are inside each day just go ask the questions probably fewer than you think yeah <laughs> And not all teachers are privy to all students' records at school. So maybe your child isn't in a classroom with a bad actor, but they could be in the lunchroom with them or the playground or the gym or in the hallway. Is that okay with you? I thought that was really wise for her to say, you know, check, (laughs) see where your kid is throughout the day. Right. It's not just one, necessarily one classroom. Right. They move around a lot. I was talking to a sixth grader they the do, other day. even in elementary these days. Yeah, I said, oh, my, my sixth grade teacher was one of my favorite teachers. He goes, you just had one? Right. And I was like, well, yeah, until seventh grade. They move them around a lot earlier. Oh, yeah, third and fourth now. now. Yeah. They're, they're changing classes all day long. 
Yeah. So find out who your children are with. Well, this was not a happy sunshiny no. <laughs> podcast, but it was a necessary conversation, kind of like making your will and estate planning and <laughs> right. and all those things well, that need thought to have, to be wise, and to live with wisdom. To live with wisdom. And for parents who don't yet have children in the school system, this may be one factor that you hadn't considered asking about um, before just going down to the school that you're zoned for. Maybe it's something you bring up at the education meeting or mm-hmm. the uh, orientation meeting at school um, before you decide, well, do we want to homeschool and why? Mm-hmm. This is a big factor, I think, that could factor into that decision. I, it's, it, would, it would arm me with a lot more questions. Right. The more you know. The more, yeah. Um, going into a new a new school. Mm-hmm. That was really helpful. Thank you to our anonymous teacher mm-hmm. for bringing this to our attention. We're happy to pass this information along and we pray that um, maybe some changes will be on the horizon for the, for so. the, for the best yeah. for our students and our teachers. Speak up. So we're going to have these resources and she's got some um, really good articles that refer to some of these court cases and, and laws in our, on our website at justaskyourmom.com. Please take five seconds to rate and review the podcast or whatever platform you listen to us and share us with your friends and send us those topic suggestions. Just ask your mom podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on just Just ask Ask your Your Mom. mom.